you've got your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to get there in, at some point, I'm sure. This morning, I'm going to start a series on marriage. If you're single, this is the perfect place for you. And that is because we're going to, in the next couple of weeks, learn how to do it right. So we can do it right. Right? <laughs> I, uh, I got started on this series because going one way, knowing that you know, it's, it's such a need. But as I began to look at Ephesians, the whole book, I just really realized what, what Paul was doing as he wrote it. He was really dealing with the whole idea of a, of a Christian life. You know, just the Christian life. And, and what I hope to show you today is, is several things. Um, first, Paul just, he just, he comes out and says that we are saved for relationship. We're saved for relationship with God, and we're saved for relationship with people. He, 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 then, he then begins to kind of move us along from just, from just people, you know, how, how we deal with people, uh, from our relationship with God to actually how we deal with marriage and what marriage looks like and how, how, uh, how we function in marriage. And then if you look at 6, he even talks about slavery. Now, there's a couple of things that you need to know, and I think it's progressive, and, and I'll explain in just a minute about that. But when you're talking about slavery here, we're not talking about the United States of America. We're talking about the Jewish culture and slavery as Paul writes to them. And let me explain to you how that works in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, if I owe Brandon money, let's say I owed him, uh, you know, for a house or an ox or whatever it might be, and I lost the ability to pay Brandon back, but, I, he, but he held a debt of mine, then what I would have to do is offer myself as a slave to him and work for him until my debt was paid. And what happened was, in the Jewish culture, every seven years, I was freed from that debt. I no longer had to pay Brandon that debt. It was, it was free. At the end of 49 years, whatever it was that he held as far as collateral was concerned was to return to me and my family. My inheritance was returned. And so... And so there's this process. Now, when Paul is dealing with slavery in Ephesians chapter 6, he's dealing with somebody who is uh, uh, undeal-withable, if that's a word. In other words, somebody who is, who is mean-spirited, somebody's not honoring you, somebody's not treating you well as you submit yourself to them. And so it parallels very well with the workplace today. If you're in an environment where... You're, you're at work, and you're underneath somebody that's a tyrant or a dictator or is unfair or is unhonorable. There are passages of Scripture in Ephesians that teach you how to deal with that person that's in authority over you. And that's more or less what that particular passage of Scripture is dealing with. And the reason I'm saying this is, is because that, that progression is this. You come into a relationship with God. 
And when you do, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places becomes yours. You are now a kingdom carrier. You have access to God. He is going to make his home to you. One of the things that we've been talking about recently is this, that Jesus didn't die so you would go to heaven, although he did. He died so you could be back in relationship with the Father, so that you could, you could have a conversation, so he would make his home with you. Jesus even said this. He said, listen, it's good that I go because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And if I don't send the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be this indwelling thing, the presence of God that indwells in you that's actually going to walk with you that will teach you everything I said. And so you, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can walk. There's this relationship with the Father that's required. But one of the places that the church is getting this wrong and and, and, and not, not as a whole, you know, some of us are getting right, and sometimes we get some things right, uh, and sometimes we just get some things wrong. I mean, but, but we have to have the right mindset. And what happens is, is that we, we don't understand or we haven't uh, totally bought into the idea that, that our relationship with God is reflected on how we treat people. In other words, you, evangelism isn't, I'm going to go door to door and I'm going to knock, out, uh, knock on doors and I'm going to hand out tracts. Even though it is, it's not. I mean, that's not what is intended with the definition of being a witness or evangelism in Scripture, although they went door to door. What Paul means by witness and what it means to do evangelism is actually to model the relationship that a believer can have with God. And that's what Paul is writing about in the whole book of Ephesus. So I encourage you to go home and read that today. As you come, as that relationship, because of Jesus' grace, and because of his power that came from the cross, we are in relationship with the Father so that we can model what it means to love. In every relationship that we have, and the reason I'm talking about this when I'm talking about marriage is I want you to understand that it's progressive. What Paul does, he says, you know, how you relate to just everyday ordinary people, including those you don't like. He's not saying I want you to treat everybody that agrees with you this way and you have permission to treat everybody that is coming against you another way or that's in authority over you a different way. He's saying to you, he wants you to learn how he treats you and how he treats others, how he treats his enemies, how he treats those that he knows are never going to come to him. And he wants you to model that treatment first in the world, then in marriage, and even those who wrong you. Who treat you wrong. And so in marriage, what we've got to understand is, is that over a hundred times in Scripture, Jesus compares marriage to the church, the relationship between him and the church. Right? Over a hundred times in Scripture, he refers to us as the bride of Christ. We're the bride. He is the bridegroom. And we have an opportunity to show the world the love of God. How do you do that? 
Well, it's not knocking on doors. It's treating people with honor. It's treating people the way God treats you. It's not giving up on people when they might deserve to be given up on because God never gives up on us when we deserve being given up on. I mean, it is this mirroring of the relationship between Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. He calls that marriage. He calls it the bride of Christ. And so the church hasn't really grasped the concept of the fact that you can tell, you can tell how close your relationship is with the Father based how, on how you treat people. Especially your enemies. Especially those in authority. He's saying to you and me, get this right. Be gentle. Be peaceable. Be loving. Be, be caring. Emulate the Father in the world, in marriage, even in a bad situation. Even in a situation you can't change. And so... As we begin to deal with marriage, which I'm going to talk about next week, about the very fundamental particles of what principles and, and elements of marriage that he's going to deal with in Ephesians, I just have to start with the whole concept of what God is giving us through Paul to the Ephesians uh, about this whole relationship thing. So Ephesians... Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Let's read it. I think we're going to have it on the screen. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, which is, he's about to get in this whole, whole relationship. And once you once walked, following the course of the world. Now, what I want you to understand here is what I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is that there is a way of thinking, a way of doing that we once all did that is pointing out. And it's a way of thinking. It's a way of doing. And when it comes to marriage, there are way too many people giving up on the idea that you can have a great marriage way too soon. And not only are you giving up on the idea that you can have a great marriage, you're looking in all the wrong places to solve your marital problems. People look to, you know, they used to... <laughs> They looked to Oprah. <laughs> they used to look to Phil Donahue. Now there's like four others that I can't even stand to watch, so I don't even know their names. We, we look to people at the water cooler. We look to friends that we know that don't have any idea about what Scripture says about how to solve our marital problems. We, we, we look for people that are like-minded that will feel sorry for us so that they can empathize with the condition we're in and give us all kinds of bad information about how we should solve the problem. And there's really only one way to solve the problem, and that is to align yourself with the Word and the way of God. And what he is saying here is you all used to align yourself with a way of thinking, and I'm going to go ahead and put in about marriage. This is a way of thinking about 
how to be in a relationship with a, with a spouse. So he says, he says, you once walked following the, the ways of the world, the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. <laughs> Does that tell you where the world gets its thinking? The spirit that is now in the work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our lust, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, like the rest of the world. We all used to think and do the same kinds of things. But God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, which is how he's treating us, he's loving us even when we're dead, he made us alive together with Christ by the power of God that works in our circumstances, that does what we can't do on our own. That's how we got saved. He raised us up and seated him, seated us with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus so that he's seating us there so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, his power that, it, that uh, bears fruit of kindness toward us by Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of what you've done, otherwise you'd brag about it. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a whole idea here beginning in whether our is you know coming into relationship with God, whether it's relationship with people, our wives, or our those that are in authority over us, whether good or evil, that we are to respond to them in a way that's different from the world. We can't be acting like the world. We've got to be different. It's amazing to me that Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. If Ephesus is what is considered now modern-day Turkey. So Paul is writing to Turkey when he's writing this letter, and he writes this encouragement saying that, that because of Jesus, everything in heaven is available, every spiritual blessing is ours. We're predestined for salvation. Our brokenness is healed. We're redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been identified with Christ. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're kept secure by the Holy Spirit. We're the betrothed of God. We're the bride of Christ. He's the groom. We're the bride. We're the body of Jesus. And Paul prays that we as believers, as children of God, would experience the great power of God working in our lives. And it doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile. We've all been leaped in one group called the church, the bride of Christ. And so we were saved for relationship with God so that we could have relationship with people so that we could emulate the patience and the love of God that he has for us, we can model that to the world. Paul is writing that saying, hey, you got to change the way you're thinking. You can't think like everybody else. 
You've got to think like God thinks. In Ephesians chapter 2, on down in verse 18, it says, For through Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We've been given that access. Again, in verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus you were once, you were far off from God, but now you've been brought near to the Father through Jesus. In Ephesians 2, 22, all the way through 31, it says this, In Him you also are being, being built up together a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's this whole idea in those passages about your spiritual house. Brandon talked about that on first Wednesday. But you're being built up. There's this, there's this progress, this process that, that you need to be in that is contrary to the world and you're adopting because you understand the Word of God and that, and that you are going to leave an, a, a, a heritage. A, a, uh, you're, you're going to... Uh, Leave a reputation, a way of doing things a, uh, with, with your kids and your grandkids. And when I talked to Liz the other day about her mama going on and being with the Lord, her comment to me was, was you know, I, I, you know, like, like she, I, you know, her, her mama loved the Lord, loved the Word of God. She was a national trainer with K. Arthur Ministries, and, and she, she just... She just loved the Word, but she was a doer, and she believed God. You saw her prayer for her kids. That was before they got saved. And when she died, that's, that's, her, that's her legacy right there in that, in that deal. That's who she was. What are your kids going to find about you when you're gone? What's... What's your legacy going to be? Paul is writing to the church and saying, listen, church, this needs to be your legacy. Yeah. It needs to be who you are. It needs to be what people remember you by. So it's not what you say. It's what you do. It's how, it's how you respond. So he keeps on going, and he's talking all through uh, chapter 1 through 3. Paul reminds us, you know, what's, what really is the truth. In 4 and 6, he gives us an application reminding us that what we do is what truly counts. So the whole book of Ephesians calls us to unity as believers, working together for the good of the church. He calls us to purity. Uh, a way of thinking about our lives and how to live. And he's called us to harmony as people. We're called to have a new way of relating in our interpersonal relationships, whether they be just regular relationships, our families, our immediate families, or our working relationships. And there's this thread that's woven all through Ephesians about that. Our new life in Christ is our reflection of our relationship with the Father. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Look at what he says. He says, now, no, no, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now let me just point out that everybody in the room, most likely, most, I, don't know, I think, 
is a Gentile. You know, so he's not talking about Gentiles anymore because he heaps them together as part of the church and the bride of Christ. He's talking about worldly people. He's talking about people who have not adopted the way of God. So don't walk as people who haven't adopted the ways of God, the world. In the futility of their minds, the way they think, don't adopt that process. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God or the life that God intended because of the ignorance that's in them. And that ignorance that's in them is due because they have a hardness of heart toward the Word of God, toward the ways of God, towards the doings of God. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And so there's this obviously calling out of changing of a mindset. You, we, can't act like everybody else. Anybody's daddy and mama ever say, I don't care what they do, boy. If I ever jumped in a fire, would you jump in after them? Anybody ever heard that before? Oh, come on, that can't be that old. Yeah, yeah. would you jump off the cliff if somebody jumped off? Ephesians 5, 5 uh, 15 says, look carefully then how you walk. Pay attention. How are you walking? Not as unwise, but as wise. What makes you wise? To know the word and to choose to walk in it. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Anybody think that's true today? Therefore, do not be foolish. What makes you foolish or unwise, not following the word, but understand what the will of God is. Now listen. So many people ask the question, I just wish I knew what the will of God was for my life. Well, there it is. Think like he thinks. Do like he does. Treat people like he treats you. Love people. Be careful. Care for people. Honor people. Well, you don't know what they've done to me. It makes absolutely no difference. How they respond to you should not affect how you show the love of the Father to them. Which is what we're supposed to be doing. Which is what Paul is calling the church at Ephesus to do. In chapter 5, he, he goes on and says this. Be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Do the same as Christ did. He offered himself as a sacrifice to God. How? By loving people the way God loved people. Our relationship with people is our witness of our relationship to the Father. And it's our witness of His redeeming love. Everything about what we do as believers ought to redeem the situation. It ought to make it better because we love the way God loves. God hates injustice. But he responds to injustice a certain way. Now, here's what you really need to hear me say. The way you respond reflects the closeness of your relationship with the Father. Now, we all make mistakes, so don't go beating yourself up. But just be careful how you walk. And so... We understand that as Paul is writing this, that it matters 
about our relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, it's our relationship with people, which includes a husband and wife, which includes those who don't treat us right, right this in authority or any, any situation that you can imagine in your own mind, how we respond to that makes a huge difference. But here's the deal. You're the bride of Christ. You, you, you are the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You know, in this world, there will be tribulation. You can count on it. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be stuff that happens that you don't like. There's going to be places that Satan seems like he wins the battle, but you just know he doesn't win the war. I mean, you're going to, they're, 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 you're going to experience hardship. If you don't believe that Satan gets his way sometimes, ask Paul, ask Peter. He is the power of the prince of the air, but that doesn't belittle the idea that you're a kingdom carrier and that you are the weapon of God just like the angelic forces are. But they don't win every battle either. And so during this time, there's going to be persecution. I love the fact that if you heard it in Liz's mama's prayer, she prayed that she be healed in the name of Jesus, right? She laid in bed and cried for her mama for 11 years. Didn't know her family. She said, Satan, you have, you have, nothing, you have nothing on me. You're not going to win this deal. <laughs> but it looked like it for a while. Or you certainly can't get your arms around it, your hands around why, why something like that happens. But the truth of the matter is, she prophesied over her own life. And her over her old children. And right now, she is good. The bride has come home and has met the bridegroom. Right? It's incredible, isn't it? It's an amazing story. This story of the wedding of the church and of the bridegroom. To understand it even more, we have to understand in marriage that that is what Paul is trying to explain how it should be in a marriage. If your marriage isn't great, one of the things I want you to really be careful of is that you don't condemn and you don't give up. You just start responding the way Jesus said respond. You're not responsible for who or how your mate responds. You're responsible for for showing the love of God the way he would show it towards them until they turn because that is the pathway everywhere in Scripture for redemption. He is love, love like God, and it will redeem eventually. And the thing that happens so oftentimes with pastors is people come to a pastor or to a counselor after it's way too late. It's way, way, way too late, and they've already made a decision that they're not, not only do they want out of this thing, but there's very little chance that it's ever going to be any good. They've totally given up on the idea that they can have a great marriage. And they come to a pastor or a counselor, and they say, you know, my marriage is in trouble. I really need help. And you say, okay, I'll do the best I can. But it has everything to do with whether they're going to make a decision to know the word and then begin to treat each other that way. you got one or two partners 
doing that. Maybe both, maybe just one, maybe just 50%. It all depends on those things that will depend on how rapid it actually has the ability to heal. Right? But here's the deal. You, they come and it's my marriage is it's in shambles. It's, in, it's terrible. Can you help me? Like in five counseling sessions? How long did it take you to get in this position? 11 years, 10 years, 5 years. Well, I'm not going to do it in five weeks. It's not going to get better. Matter of fact, if you're not willing to know the Word and actually do it, there's no chance for it to be redeemed. You've got to actually know the Word of God and begin to do it the way God said do it. And then that will make you prosperous in everything you do. Right? And so don't be down on yourself. you just got to make a decision that I'm not going to give up on my marriage. And I'm going to believe that it can be great. Because the lover of mankind can redeem it through me as I represent him. Yes? And I'm going to be good at representing my father in relationships. And so there's this picture of the bride of Christ and, and the bride, the church. There's a, that picture is painted about the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I don't ever do anything that the Father doesn't do or say. And, the, and he says the Holy Spirit, you, he's going to come and he's going to lead you in all truth. He's going to tell you everything I said. But there's this beautiful order in submission, perfect love, perfect submission in the Godhead. There's a relationship there, and there are roles in the Godhead. When, they, when creation was made, they all came. The Father spoke, Jesus, and the Spirit was hovering above the deep and did what the Father said do through the Son. You see it everywhere in Scripture. There's an order about it. There's also an order of marriage. There's order between a man and a woman and how God designed it. Now, the, the thing is, the thing is, in the church, are we going to make the decision that we're going to believe to do it God's way in a marriage? Or are we going to stick to a value system that we adopt from somewhere else and expect it to bear fruit of the kingdom? And you can't do that. You've got to make a decision in your heart that you're going to know the Word of God and what He says about marriage and how to do it and then actually begin to carry it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes? And so he compares this. Thing. Now, I just want to go over real quickly, and then I'm going to close. How long this has been going on in, 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 the, in the Jewish wedding in the Old Testament? There, there, there's, there's a picture of Christ and the church in the Jewish wedding. This is how the ceremony went, and you could hear the gospel in the Jewish wedding ceremony. Here's how it went. The groom found him a good woman. Everybody say hallelujah. There's nothing better than finding a good woman. Amen? I got a low amen on that one. Praise the Lord. So he finds him a good woman, and he brings a, a cup of wine. And he asked her to marry. You girls want a diamond? I, I just brought Liz a glass of wine. That's all, you know. I didn't. I really didn't. But it sounded good. Anyway, 
glass of wine, no diamonds. And gets on a knee, would you marry me? You know, I don't know if it got on a knee or not, but it's an invitation. And when she drank the wine, when she partook of the wine, she partook with him. She agreed. That's just, it's just, it's crazy good. And so she agrees. In that moment, those two families entered into contract. There was a contract. There was, there was, a, there was a, a coming together. There was unity in that, in that moment. Uh, just like you would do if you got saved and baptized and made a public profession of faith. There's that baptism of the cup. Well, they didn't consummate the union right then. What happened was the groom went back to his father's house and began to make preparations for the bride. Somebody say hallelujah. And, and, and he had to go back and he had to make a place in his father's house that was better than what the bride was accustomed to living. And when he produced that place, the father would look to the son and said, now's the time. And the son would go say, yes! And he would go get his bride. Now, what was the bride doing? And it would be usually the, the t- term of engagement was a year or better because they had to build the house. So they're engaged for these, this year. Now, the reason, I'm, y'all, can we stop right there and let me go, and then I'll come back. I'm going to chase a rabbit real quick. It's important to understand that that's where we are right now. We're in that period of, in other words, there's still tribulation. There's still hard times. We're still not united with Christ. But when he comes back, we're gonna, it's going to be all on, baby. There ain't going to be none of that mess. We're going to be full bore. It, and it's all in this picture. But what was the bride doing while the groom was preparing a place in his father's house? She was making herself ready. And, and there was no announcement, hey, he's, it's, the father said it's time. There was none of that. She didn't have any idea. She had to constantly be waiting for the groom to come. And what would she do? She'd keep her eyes toward his house. She'd keep her ear to the ground, always looking. as what it says in Revelation. Keep your eye waiting on Christ's return as the bride of Christ. And so she would always, and she would hear him coming. There'd be a party, there'd be music, there'd be a parade, and they would come and get the bride. And then they would go off together and consummate and have this great big party, and then they would be husband and wife forever and ever. That is the Jewish ceremony of a wedding, which gives us a picture of what Christ and the church do, which Paul uses to describe our ability to be a witness to a world that doesn't understand the love of God. How we can show them is what our marriages look like. How we honor people. And so our focus never needs to be on stuff as much as it is on legacy. Passing on a legacy that looks like Jesus. And we've got to work too. Got to make money too. 
but we've got to be what God calls us to be. This is the book of Ephesians. So I want to lay this foundation for us as we go in. What does God say about marriage? Is marriage, can marriage be outside of a man and a woman? We're going to hit every complicated issue that it faces the world today based on the word of God next week. And we're going to have to make a decision of whether we're going to agree with God's word and his way or whether we're going to adopt another philosophy. And then whether we ourselves, as we know the way, as we commit to that, can allow the love of God to empower us to redeem every relationship we're in. Whether it be friends, family members, workplace situations, whatever. Because we want to be a people who reflect that our relationship with the Father is tight. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer. Now, this is what we did first service. I want to do it again. I want you to lay hands on people around you. I haven't got but two. You can put your foot on somebody if you want to do that. That would be fine, too. Can we pray this over everybody that you're touching? And everybody in the room, Father, in the name of Jesus, I can't wait to see how well my brother and sister reflect the love of God, the love of the Father, as they commit to your word, as they begin to do it, as they reflect your love to their friends, to their spouses, to those in authority. I thank you for that. More Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.